0: We are making a journey through the book in the New Testament called the book of Hebrews. And today kind of wraps up the first section, which is all about theology and the amazing things that Christ is. And after today, we're going to begin to transition to our responsibility. So many of the letters, the epistles in the New Testament start out with the gospel. That's where we start, right? That's our foundation. All that Christ has done, his amazing finished works. And then about midway through the book, there will be a transition, you'll notice. And here comes the call to walk in the steps of our Savior. So reading our text today via this amazing thing called technology is Johnny Cash reading the first 18 verses of Hebrews 10.
1: Chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin.
0: Isn't that awesome? There's an audio version of the Bible read by James Earl Jones. If you can find a link to it, send it to me. I would love to hear him read the scriptures. <clears throat> if I preached like that, I'd wind up coughing. <laughs> so last time I spoke from this book, we talked about the benefits of Jesus' blood, his death, and his sacrifice. When you see the word blood, in theology, it's speaking of the life that was poured out. The life of the flesh, the Bible says, is in the blood. The blood is a transportation system. It carries life to yourselves, oxygen and nutrients and water to every cell in your body, and carries away all death stuff: expiration, carbon dioxide, cells that needed replacing. It's an amazing avenue in our blood, and yet without it, we cannot live. And it is bright red. God created it that way to know if you see the blood, there's something to take seriously. You can't miss it. It speaks to you, but the blood of Christ speaks better things. It speaks of judgment that he received for us and life that he poured out for us. And the good news of the gospel is he didn't stay in the tomb, but he rose from the dead to be our resurrected sacrifice, now our high priest. And so last time we spoke, we spoke on these three things. With his own blood, he obtained our eternal redemption. Now, don't tune me out. I'm just reviewing here. I'm going to get more basic here so it'll all start making sense. And with his own blood, he cleanses our conscience to serve God. Now, the sacrificial system in the first covenant was animals died in your place as a substitute. The ultimate payment for sin is capital punishment. It's death. It's the ultimate, the highest fine anyone can pay for their crime. And in the Old Testament, you could be forgiven, but justice had to be served to a substitute. An animal died in your place. An innocent lamb or goat or a heifer or bull was offered as a sacrifice for you or turtle dove, and the blood was shed for your sin. But it was temporary. It was atoning. The sacrifices covered your sin. But every year there had to be a renewal. It was like a like forgiveness was leased to you. Because justice had not been fully served until the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, died for us on the cross. And God counted that as the perfect payment for all sin. And now he can be righteous and be in relationship with us and none of the powers that be can point a finger at him for having anything to do with wickedness. Because the payment for wickedness was paid by the blood of his son. The old sacrificial system made you feel guilty. You know, hands were laid on the animal. Yes, I've done wrong. Yes, you must die in my place. Yes, you're my expiation. But you're reminded every year, it was a reminder of your wickedness. But the blood of Christ can cleanse your conscience. I do not care how bad you have been and tormented you are by your conscience. Christ paid for your sin. And you can go free of the penalty and the power of sin. Isn't it great to be delivered from the pain of regret? By means of his death, Jesus redeemed transgressions that were under the first covenant. See, it was a past, present, and future thing in the death of Christ. He paid for the sin of mankind, period, for all time. All those before him were redeemed through his blood if they put faith in the covenant that he had given them. And he activated the Lord's will and testament. The Lord's last will and testament were contained in the Old Testament you cannot receive the benefits of the will unless the testator dies, right? Christ died, and then he rose from the dead as our attorney to to make sure that you get your inheritance. We're called joint heirs with Christ. That was through his death. We saw that in the scriptures. And through his sacrifice, he was offered once to bear our sins, not daily, Or annually, annually, a priest had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins and then a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Well, Christ's one sacrifice was for the people because he had never sinned. He was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted, but he never yielded to the temptation. One old preacher said, you can keep a bird from building a nest in your hair, but you can't keep them from flying over your head. Temptation is like the birds that fly over our heads. Yielding to them is inviting those temptations to build a nest in our life. And he will appear a second time to save us. So Hebrews 9 wraps up with these words. As it is appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. So men are appointed to die once, And after that, you stand before God to account for your sins. Christ died once and carried our sins, took our judgment upon himself, so that through faith in him, when you die, death is nothing to fear. That's what's the amazing thing about New Testament faith, faith in the Lord Jesus, is he takes away the fear of death. Now, we're not anxious to die. You know, we want to go to heaven, but we don't want to go on the next load, right? (laughs) But when we do, there is a peace. We don't leave this earth screaming. We leave to meet our Savior. And the last part of verse 28 of Hebrews 9, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now let's look a little closer at what Johnny just finished reading. For the law, that's the principles by which man was to live under the Old Testament, having a shadow of the things to come and not the very image of the things can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So the law casts light on our wickedness. You know, if there's not a speed limit, you don't know that you're speeding, right? So the law revealed our disobedient hearts. The law, thou shalt not, makes us want to do it, right? Johnny, sit down. And Johnny sits down, sorry Johnny, and says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's our hearts. So the law is a shadow of our need for the new covenant. So Jesus is the image of the perfect New Testament. The law is not the image, it's the shadow of it. So those people that want to go back and live under the Old Testament law are fascinated with the shadow rather than the reality. You know, when you get married, you look in the eyes of your bride, you don't stare at her shadow what a nice shadow you have. That's what it's like. We have have New Testament reality. So this law, a shadow of things to come, not the very image of the things, this law can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, somebody said never stops, make those who approach perfect, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Then the writer quotes from Psalms 40 and then comments on Psalms 40. So here's a quotation, verses 5 through 7. Therefore, Psalm 40, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So basically, in the comments, we're going to see that he said, God, prophetically through David, said he did not desire sacrifice and offerings. And then, here's here's the Messiah. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Obedience is what he's after, from obedient hearts. But the Old Testament cannot change your heart, because it's all external. The New Testament came and dealt with our sin in such a way that it breaks our hearts. We remembered that today in the celebration of the Lord's table, the table of remembrance, Holy Communion. His broken body and his shed blood breaks our hearts and gives us a desire from the inside out to live a life of following him. Previously saying, verse 8, now he goes back into explaining what we just read. Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. What's the first that he takes away? The sacrifices and offerings he doesn't desire. What's the second that he establishes? Behold, I have come, as the book says about me, to do your will, O God. So the sacrifices and offerings are not what God's after. It's the doing of his will, just as Jesus did. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Can we say once? One time. Now, there is a big denomination out there that believes they're offering up the sacrifice of Jesus every week. Saints, that is not scriptural. He did it once. We celebrate and remember, but he is not offered up again. He's not on the cross anymore. The cross is empty. If you're wearing a cross today, it better be empty. His work is finished. He's not on there anymore. Once for all, verse 11, and every priest, this is the Old Testament priest, stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly, somebody said over and over, the same sacrifices. Somebody else say monotony, (laughs) which can never take away sins. Over and over. Just covering up, covering up, covering up. Waiting to the day of redemption. Verse 12, but this man, who's this man? Jesus. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So the Old Testament priest is busy. He's ministering standing up over and over, day by day, year by year, continuously. The same sacrifices. Christ, one sacrifice, he's no longer standing up. He is sitting down to make intercession for us, to take our place for us. And we are seated with him positionally in heavenly places. This one man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Psalm 110 is amazing messianic prophecy. 110, it talks about Jesus being the the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It talks about him sitting at the right hand of God till his enemies are made his footstool. So he conquered death for us, but one day death is going to be under our feet. And the enemies of Christ will be dealt with. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. This is another Old Testament prophecy. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. So his laws are going to be put in our hearts in the New Testament and written in our minds. That's happening in our life. So The Lord draws us nearer to himself through worship, through reading his word, through being equipped for ministry. Our lives are changing. Is anybody here the same person you were before you were a believer? He makes a change in us. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, Lord, for your truth. I pray, Lord, you'd speak to us in such a way that we understand, that we grasp all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. For good news to be fully appreciated, you have to have a grasp, not a degree, but just a grasp of the bad news. You got good news, got bad news. Which do you want first, right? The good news makes the bad news worth it. The bad news is we are sinners in need of a Savior. The good news is we have a Savior, Jesus if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't think you don't need a Savior, then the good news doesn't have the weight in your life that it has in reality. I'd like to speak to you today on Christ's better sacrifice. This book starts out with talking about how great the Lord Jesus is. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than demons. He's greater than the priests. He's the greater sacrifice, is what we're looking at today. Christ's better sacrifice. So first the bad news. The first covenant sacrifices were shadows of things to come. We saw that. They were offered continually year by year. They never perfected anyone. They didn't change your life. They kept you busy. They were annual reminders of your sin. And they were impossible to take away sins. Now, you do not think this is true, read the Old Testament. When they first received the Old Covenant, yes, we're going to do it. They couldn't last a week. Why? I'm not throwing the Old Covenant people under the bus. They're humans. They need a Savior. So this perfect law came to reveal our need for a Savior. Hebrews 10, we read this, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. If the old covenant sacrificial system in place did anything, they wouldn't have to do it every year. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Why? It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. They're a chief substitute. Christ is the perfect substitute, He became one of us. One preacher said he became what we are, that we might become what he is. He became sin, that we might become righteous. He became dead, that we might become alive. He became naked, that we might be clothed. He came down so that we could go up. He came out so that we could come in. That is good news. Second point, Christ's better sacrifice was and is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy and it is what sanctifies us and it's his once-for-all offering. When he said it is finished on the cross before he died, he meant it. Verse 8 of our text says, previously saying sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy or set apart. Maybe in your home you have towels that are for guests. If there's no guests, they're for show but not for go. They've been sanctified, right? By that will, what will? The will that he came to do. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's the sacrifice and offerings, that he may establish the second. That is, I've come to do your will. Verse 10, by that will, we have been set apart, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. all is in italics. The translators added it for emphasis, but literally the writer wrote once. One time. Both covenant sacrifices. We've talked about the old covenant sacrifice and Christ's sacrifice. Now let's compare the two. Both covenant sacrifices compared. Old covenant sacrifice works were never finished appropriately say, sacrifices, works, or workings, were never finished. They were daily, they were annual. Through Jesus, better sacrifice, it was finished, it is finished, and it is still finished. Every priest, verse 11, stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's not standing ministering. He's sitting down and he's ministering, not offering sacrifices, but offering intercession for us as our high priest. From that time, 2,000 years ago, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's interesting. The people, I'm saying this as respectfully as I can, the people who are attempting to keep the law of Moses have a little book, I have one in my office, of the laws you can keep without there being a temple. Which I don't exactly buy that because those laws were given before there was a temple. Moses had nothing to do with the building of the temple that got destroyed in 70 A.D. In that law's commandment to build a tabernacle, set up a tent, here's all the dimensions, all of the details. What's going on? I dare say God shut down the sacrificial system. He didn't want it anymore. So the sacrificial system attempted to be operated until the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., But for 40 years, there were signs that it wasn't working. One was, every night they would lock up the temple, and every morning they would come in, and the temple doors would be unlocked. Not only unlocked, they'd be open for 40 years. And for 40 years, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the two signs they sought to get assurance of atonement for their sins never came to pass. One of the signs was there was two special stones in a bag. And the priests would reach in the bag once a year after the sacrifices were made and grab the two stones, one in each hand. And if the right stone was in the right hand and the the right stone was in the left hand, they were assured that God had accepted their sacrifices. They were atoned another year. Forty times for 40 years. The stones came up in the wrong hands. Also, they would tie a scarlet cord to the door of the temple. And I'm not sure the period of time, but this cord would be tied on the Day of Atonement when they offered the sacrifice for their sins. And over a period of time, that red cord would turn white. For 40 years, the cord never turned white. What's the significance of 40 years? Well, it's easy. Do the math. Back up from 70 A.D. to 30 A.D., around the time when the perfect sacrifice was made. The blood of Jesus avails for us all. The new covenant stands. Now, there are people raising money to... Raise red huffers and getting all excited about that. I'm not excited about that. I do not see how that fits in. Maybe maybe you can explain it to me. But I say keep your money. Give it to a cause that is clearly directed in the Scriptures. The new covenant is here. Amen? Verse 16 continues, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Can we say it together? Christ's better sacrifice. His better sacrifice brought a better covenant. We saw this a few weeks ago. The old covenant was all about if you do this, I will do this. It was all conditional. The new covenant is based on what he did. Not what we do. What we do is impacted by what he did, but it's founded on the foundation of what he did. No longer if you do, but because he did. The old covenant was if you obey, Exodus twenty three twenty two. If you bring, Leviticus 2, 4, If you keep, Leviticus 26.3. If you seek, Deuteronomy 4.49. If you vow, Deuteronomy 23.21. If you disobey, Deuteronomy 28. You know, as New Covenant believers, we've been blessed with the blessing of Abraham. And some believers mistake that for Deuteronomy 28, the blessings of Deuteronomy 28. I'll make you the head and not the tail. I'll make you above and not beneath. I'll do this and I'll do that. That's the blessings for obeying the law. That's not the blessing of Abraham. You've got to go to Genesis to get that. That's what we're blessed with. Because if you pursue being blessed by obeying the law, you have to get the rest. You can't pick and choose. This is not a cherry orchard. You get the rest. Man, there's all kinds of stuff, from tumors to hemorrhoids, stuff you don't want in Deuteronomy 28 if you disobey. This is the bad news. Now, here's the good news. Because of what he did, we're loved. Romans 8, 39. We're received. Romans 15, 7. We are righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We are blessed. Ephesians 1, 3. We are complete. Colossians 2, 10. And verse 13, we are forgiven. Not only are we made righteous because he became sin for us, we're made the righteousness of God. You know, it's great to have your sins forgiven. Isn't that awesome? If your books are in the red to have someone come along, maybe your bank forgive the note, and now your books are in the black. Zero indebtedness. Isn't that awesome? Woo! But the good news doesn't stop there. We are credited over and above being forgiven with righteousness. You're not just forgiven, you've been made righteous. This will blow your mind. As righteous, as I understand it, as Jesus Christ. Not by my works, but by his finished works. What's the result of the old covenant? It was ongoing disobedience. It wasn't long after they promised Moses, we will do all that you say, that they built the the golden calf. There was a sacrificial workings that was a result of the ongoing disobedience. There was a continual reminder every year of the special holiday for atoning for your wickedness. And what did that lead to? Condemnation. And death. Could it be the incense in the old temple, in the old tabernacle? Wasn't just to make things pleasing to God's nostrils, but to deal with the flies that the blood drew. Death! Death, the ugliness of sin. Sin is so terrible. If you don't think it is, read the newspaper. Watch the news. It's terrible. But the new covenant... Is based on what he did. Because he did, Jesus was the one who perfectly obeyed. I've come to do your will, O God. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. His work is finished. There's no undoing of it. And he ever lives to intercede for us. You don't have to go through a mediator to approach the Lord Jesus. He is your mediator. And mine. And this leads to reconciliation and life. I have come that you might have life and have that life more abundantly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the gospel. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who's not clear on these things, that they would study out your claims, that they would get a grasp of why you came to redeem the human race from the fear of death that brings such a bondage to us all. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus for those that do know you that they would get a hunger in their heart to know you more. And Lord, if there's any of us that are ignoring the laws that you're writing in our hearts and we've been living a life of disobedience, Bring us to a place of restoration to you Lord, not to offer your sacrifice again, but to come back home in Jesus name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Lamb who was slain
2: Holy holy is He new song, to him who sets on, heaven's mercy sing. creation i see
1: rainbows of living color flashes of
2: system is a little bit difficult to understand. Sometimes it's maybe even easier to understand. This is what I've heard it explained as. The sacrificial system itself was, yes, it was a type and foreshadow, but what was going on is that those folks were bulldozing sin in front of them. There, it was literally a bulldozer that was moving sin in front of them. the cross and at the cross in, in the account in matthew it says that darkness overtook the world for three hours and i sometimes wonder about that but i think it must be because during those three hours we know that sin is associated with darkness think about all of the sin that was actually being taken away at that point all of those sins that had been bulldozed to calvary and all of the sin that we're throwing over our shoulder because of what Jesus did for us. Three hours. Now think about this. The Most High God, the, He is the, He's got massive bandwidth. But I think it probably took three hours during that period of darkness for all of that sin to be taken away because of what Christ Jesus was doing for us in obedience to the Father. hours. Amazing. Amazing. So I, I just want to encourage each and every one of us that if we have gotten away from thinking about what the Lord Jesus did for us, the sacrifice that he made for us, the sin, he didn't deserve any of it, but the sin that he took on himself, all of the sin that was bulldozed to Calvary, all of the sin that we have passed behind us, because we have declared that He is Christ Jesus, the Lord Almighty. He is worthy. He is our sacrifice once for all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's an amazing picture. Let's appropriate that picture as we leave here. Let's walk in the freedom that He came to bring us. Let's sing some more.
0: Of your sin because the relationship is severed or the person has passed. Jesus paid it all. All for us. So you can go free. For you to run around carrying your sins is to tell the Lord, you know, it wasn't enough. Hallelujah. When he said it is finished, he met you. lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you his peace his peace that passes understanding his peace that stands in a storm his peace that will carry you through it's shalom it's wholeness it's wellness, it's completeness. God bless you. Go get them, tigers.